So with that, we're going to spend the next uh, few weeks just kind of processing through some different teachings of Jesus. Uh, now, the, here's the thing. We all probably have our favorite statements of Jesus. Things that Jesus said that, that we just love to hold on to. And then there's some other things that Jesus said that we, we're, we just, maybe we don't like as much. Um, they might be a little bit more confusing. Uh, they might seem a little harsh at times. Uh, they, they might not track it. There are certain things that Jesus has said that's recorded in Scripture that if we have kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a wrong view of Jesus, but if we have a view of Jesus that's kind of conformed more to ourselves, there are certain things that Jesus said and did that kind of we wrestle with. Like, that doesn't track with the Jesus that I feel comfortable with. Um, and, and I don't, you know... I don't know about you, but maybe you have some off the top of your head that's like, these are the ones that, uh, you know, like, one of my number ones, it's not what we're going to talk about today, but, you know, when Jesus is talking and he says, I'm going to look at some people and say, I never knew you. Be gone from me. And and it's like, I read that and I'm like, I get it, but I don't like that. You know, there's certain things that Jesus taught and said that I get it, but I don't necessarily like it. And we're going to process through a few of those over the next few weeks. Now, as we start today... Uh, to kind of get us all on the same page so we're, we're all on the same foundation here. Jesus had this amazing way in his teaching to mix two very important elements always in how he interacted with people. And this is what they were. Jesus was, was amazing at this. He was able to bring invitation to someone and challenge at the same time. Right? Jesus was able to invite people into something with him. He was able to invite people into a relationship with him, to follow him. He, he called people to himself. But Jesus never just focused on calling people to himself. In fact, Jesus then would follow up with challenge. And, and, and basically to understand this, this is why Jesus did it. it, it is Jesus would come along, and, and, and the two reasons he would do this is because the invitation, right? The invitation was to... <laughs> Philip, fix it. It is on and it is not working. I love how this is happening because during our elder meeting, Blake was just like, listen, I'm tired of it. He's like, hey, see, I told you, fix it. Thank you. (laughs) I take back everything I might say about you. Um... So this is what Jesus was doing. The invitation was the invitation to belong, right? That's what Jesus was a master at this. He would invite people to belong. But the challenge is then he's challenging us to become. And and here's the thing is we have to understand this because many of us, whether we realize it or not, we could tend to float to one of those more than the other. And, And here's what happens when we do that. If we're always like the invitations of Jesus, what ends up happening is we all of a sudden make our faith and our, our life and our religious beliefs and everything, it, it all comes about us, right? It becomes this, like, make me comfortable, Jesus. Give me what I want, Jesus. Make my life easy, Jesus. Like, make me feel good, okay? Sometimes that's how we can approach Jesus. Make me feel good, right? Make me feel better. Make me feel excited. Make me feel like, you know, the world makes, just make everything make sense, right? We want that invitation. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus is great at this. Jesus would say things like this, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, right? There's the invitation. Come, 
But see, Jesus never just stopped at the invitation to belong. Jesus would then follow it up with the challenge. The challenge is, yes, come to me and belong. And because you come to me, I'm going to make you into something. There's a challenge. Now, see, the problem is sometimes people can fall more into the challenge side. The challenge side can become when we focus on all the expectations of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what happens then is many times that's where you find people that kind of fall into that legalistic mindset, that domineering, that, that ex- they're always demanding you be a certain way and act a certain way. And, and what ends up happening is you, you fall again into that legalism and, and Christianity becomes stressful and we become discouraged because it's always about what we have to do, what we have to do, what we have to do. And see, Jesus had this beautiful way of combining both. He's like, listen, come and belong. But then also I'm going to challenge you to become more. I'm going to challenge you to become different. I'm going to challenge you to live your life in a completely different way. Not a little different, completely different way. That's the challenge. I mean, just think again, some of the things Jesus said. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is how he started his ministry. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the invitation. People would hear that and say, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. And they would draw near. And then Jesus would say, therefore, repent and believe. There's the challenge. Here's the invitation that the kingdom is here. Now, repent and believe. Jesus said, come and follow me. There's the invitation. And I will make you fishers of men. There's the challenge. Right? As I said before, come to me all who are weary and heavy burden and I will give you rest. That might be a favorite passage for many of us when we're struggling. And we remember Jesus' words that yes, he gives me rest. And I can bring my burden to him. and, And he will help me. Which is all true. But then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I see, we kind of drift towards one or the other. We want to drift towards the invitation and find the, the, the feeling of hope and goodness out of the invitation. But we have to remember the invitation always comes with a challenge. The challenge to be more, to pursue, to become, to glorify God. To not make it about us, but to make it about him. This morning, we're going to look at a section of the Sermon on the Mount. All right? And and we're going to look at a section that I want us to see the invitation that Jesus starts with. And and then how that invitation starts changing and mixing. And all of a sudden, he starts challenging us to become more. Sermon on the Mount is one of the best passages of Scripture, honestly. Um, I, I, I love... Uh, many aspects of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that I find so interesting about it is when you read it, um, <laughs> when you read it, I always picture Jesus giving this, this sermon. Um, and I'm sitting there laughing because he follows nothing that you're taught when you go to school to preach at all. Like, it's, it's hilarious to me that man has this way of telling us how we're supposed to preach and, and what we're supposed to include, and you have to take classes to be able to do this, and you have to practice, and they critique you and all that. And Jesus, like, he follows none of it. One, he didn't start with a joke. I mean, at no point in time did Jesus, like, start with a joke. And then all of a sudden, he's just jumping from these topics to topics to topics. And you can kind of read the Sermon on the Mount and be like, where is he going? Because he's all over the place. 
But it's beautiful when you start really understanding the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. And there are so many things that we could talk about with the Sermon on the Mount. Someday I hope we actually do a series through it and actually take that verse by verse or really dig into it deeper, but that's not today. Today we're going to take a very broad look at this passage and we're not going to get into minute details because I want us to see the heart of what Jesus is trying to accomplish in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful moment where Jesus provides one of the best invitations ever to put your faith in him, but also some of the greatest challenges of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what I want us to see today is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he raises the bar on what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so as we go through this, we might find that moment of our own challenge, of our own conclusions on what it means to be a Christian because Jesus is raising the bar, like I said, and he's bringing this invitation to belong and this challenge to become. So if you have your Bibles... Because it's a pretty uh, big chunk of scripture, I'm not going to put any verses up from the Sermon on the Mount. But Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have Bibles, uh, if you don't, there should be some in front of you, hopefully, and you can use one of the pew Bibles. Uh, But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, processing through pretty much that entire chapter. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with this, this moment where Jesus starts showing us what the blessed life is. Okay, he just all of a sudden starts by telling us what the blessed life is. And he says, listen, uh, blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed is the people that mourn. Blessed are the, are the meek. And he, and he starts walking through these things. Okay? Now, this is the invitation part. There's challenge mixed in there, but this is the invitation part. I, I want you to picture being a, a Jew at this time in an occupied nation where you are overwhelmed and burdened with these unbelievable religious beliefs. And, and you are just burdened to the point of you feel like probably God has abandoned you because you're occupied by the Romans. Your life is not really all that fun or great. The religious leaders are constantly putting more pressure on you. And you have no concept or clue what it means to really understand or know God. You're constantly trying to do everything right so that God will not destroy you because that's kind of the history that you've always grown up under behave, obey, or you're going to be judged. And then all of a sudden this guy shows up and he starts telling you what it means to be blessed. And man, you're probably going to sit there and you hear that and you're going to be like, man, I so want to be blessed. I so want to have the kingdom of God because Jesus starts saying, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn because they're going to be comforted. Blessed are me because they're going to inherit the earth. All of these, these promises that Jesus is laying out here are drawing people to him. He's sitting here going, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they're going to be filled Right? He starts talking about how the people are going to see God. Those that are pure in heart, they will see God. And peacemakers, because they're going to be called sons of God, children of God. The people were probably hearing this and they're just loving every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth because it's completely different than anything that the religious leaders are teaching. And they're being drawn to Jesus. And they're probably loving, I mean, I don't know if the Israelites were amening people, but they're probably, like, you know, getting into it as it was going on. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gets to the last one. He's like, blessed are those that are persecuted. It's like, hey, no, right? All of a sudden, Jesus shifts, and he starts talking about persecution. 
And so there was this moment, even in all these blessings and all this invitation, Jesus all, all of a sudden throws in this, this challenge. You know, um, I think about this a lot, and I, and I know other people do too, but it was really interesting. If I remember right, Shauna was the one that shared this last night. Um, I'm pretty sure on your Facebook or something, it was reading about... Uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan and how, you know, it's said to be praying for them. If anybody didn't see this, it said to be praying for them about 11 o'clock at night because that was going to be the time that their Sunday morning was starting. And our brothers and sisters in Christ in that country were going to be gathering to worship in the same way that we are. But there were many of them that were like, we're still going to go worship our God, even if we're facing imprisonment, death, persecution, you know, this doing this. And as I'm reading this, I'm sitting there and, and just having this conviction challenge to say, man, God, that is amazing. I wonder how many of us would show up if we were facing that this morning, right? There's the challenge. See, Christianity's simple and easy when maybe we just get made fun of a little bit, or maybe, you know, people are going to look at us like we're weird, or maybe we got to give up some stuff, or maybe I got to get up on Sunday and, and, and give up an hour and a half of my time to, to come do that. But man, if I was facing real persecution, I was wrestling with that for a moment. I was like, God, that really makes me stop. Because here's the thing, I would sit there and say with all honesty, and truly I, I feel like I believe this, I would say in that moment, if you were to ask me, would you come if you face persecution, would you be here this morning? And I would love to say, yes, I would. But then God reminds me of something. He says, David, you do realize Peter looked at me and said, I'd die for you. Even if everybody else even if everybody else abandoned Jesus, I would never abandon you. Right? But then, when the moment came, Peter wasn't there. And I'm not saying this to, like, condemn us. I'm saying this is like, a, you know, I'm putting this on myself of, like, God, man, I love the invitation, right? Make me feel good. Give me heaven. Give me what I want. Give me the desires of my heart. Make my life easy. And Jesus like, persecution. Like, let's take that part out of the contract, Jesus. Let's negotiate here. Let's negotiate on hardships and, and, and difficulties and the things that... So I only share that as a personal thought of what I was having last night. Is Here it is again, invitation and challenge. And then Jesus all of a sudden changes gears. It's in the same vein, but all of a sudden he, he just comes out of nowhere and he says, you are the salt of the earth, right? But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And then he goes on and you are the light of the world. Again, we read these words and, and they don't mean as much to us that it would have meant to them. You know, think about this for a moment. Um, you're talking about people that probably wrestled very much with their self-worth, their identity. Who are we? We're not important. We're told we're not important. We're constantly being abused. Like this is the life that they grew up in. And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he says, you are the salt of the earth. In their context, salt was massively precious and valuable, right? Salt to us is nothing. But to them, I mean, have you ever heard the statement before in, at any point in your life where you hear somebody say like, well, that guy's worth his weight in salt. It's because they used to pay people in salt. Salt was extremely valuable. 
and extremely precious. And here's Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth. Again, invitation, right? You are precious and valuable. But not just was it valuable, salt had an extremely important purpose. It was used for preserving. It was used for the very livelihood of having food and the ability to preserve things. It was also used, of course, the way we use it. Let's give some stuff some flavor. Right? So salt was extremely important. And Jesus is saying, that's what you are. Extremely valuable. And you have an extremely important value and purpose. I mean, could you imagine what the, the hearers of that that are, are probably just condemned every day of their life on how horrible and worthless they are, and all of a sudden here's this Jesus saying, you are salt. Invitation. But then challenge. But what happens when the salt loses its saltiness? It's no good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled. Right? He, he's challenging identity, he's encouraging identity, but then he's also challenging that we use that identity in the right way. And then he goes on, and you are the light of the world. Again, we hear these words, and, and, and we don't really wrestle with what this meant to them. What's interesting is during this time, there, there were actually others that would use the terminology light of the world or light bearers or light shiners. This was given to just the elite religious leaders of the day. Like the, the top of the top religious leaders would be known as that is a, a source of light to the world. They bring the truth of God to the world. I don't know if they gave themselves this title, but it was a title that was used, this this statement of glory and honor to the elite of the elite. And then here's Jesus looking at all the common people and he says, guess what? It's not the elite that are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. This was radical that Jesus was saying this. Is it any wonder that the religious leaders wanted to kill him from day one? Because he was stripping away all of the authority that they had and that they were burdening people with because Jesus comes along and says, listen, all you people that have dismissed yourselves, your salt and your light. Extremely valuable. Unbelievable purpose. But then there's the challenge. You are the light of the world, but you don't light a candle to hide it. Right? You don't pour out light just to stuff it away someplace. No, you are the light of the world, so let your light shine. So all the world can see. Jesus is invitation and challenge. Question for us this morning. This was something that I was asking myself actually last night. Um, how many of you woke up? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think about this. How many of you woke up this morning, and at some point in time before you got here, you, you just had this amazing thought where you're like, you know what? Man, I'm salt and light today, man. I'm going to go be salt and light. That's what I'm going to do today. I am unbelievably precious, and I have a huge purpose. I'm going to go shine that light bright so everybody can see it. We don't think that way. 
We don't think that way. But this is what Jesus says of us. You are the salt of the earth. How many of us are living our lives knowing that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world? See, this is going to connect a lot with last week, those that were here or saw it. Satan likes to steal from us the truth of who Jesus says we are. And one of the ways he does that is he gets us so distracted that I'm telling you, every morning when you wake up, you should get up and be like, I am salt and light, baby. I'm going to go live this life and this day because I'm salt and light. Not because I made myself that, but because Jesus makes me that. We don't live that way. But now, Jesus then really starts moving into the challenge. See, what I picture here is I picture Jesus saying, you are the light of the world. And, and here's, I don't know what your brain sees when you read scripture, but this is, this is how it went. Like thousands of people are listening to Jesus, but it was also the religious leaders were there listening to Jesus. So they, they were always there listening to Jesus. There was always somebody there listening to Jesus. It was part of the religious elite, the Pharisees and the scribes, because they were constantly wanting to know who he was and what he was teaching and what they could use against him. So picture this, thousands of people, just regular common people, and then you had probably the group of Pharisees that were nitpicking and grumbling and all this stuff. And I picture this. I don't know if this is what happened, but I picture this. Jesus gets up and says, you are the light of the world. He basically robs them of their title, and he gives it to everybody else. And I picture all the common people, because I would have done this. I would have looked over at the religious leaders and thought, yeah, you jerks. Yeah, I am. Like, I would just start having disdain towards the people that I felt, like, grumpy at. And felt like they were burdening me. I don't know if that happened, but I'm picturing that it did. Because all of a sudden, Jesus just shifts gears. It seems like he just shifts gears all the time. So I have a feeling that he might have been responding to maybe how the crowd was reacting to what he was preaching. Because here they are, they're hearing their worth and their value and their purpose and how he wants to use them. And they've heard how they're blessed and he's heard all this invitation. And they're looking over at the religious leaders like, how come you've never told us this? How come you tell us different? How come you make us out like we're worthless and and we can never measure up to God? How come you make it so difficult to get to God in the first place? I can see maybe some of that anger coming. Some of that anger directed towards the religious leaders. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shifts gears. And in verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Again, it just seems completely out of left field. It's like he's talking about salt and light. Now he's talking about not abolishing the law. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, not one little piece of the law will be done away with until heaven and earth disappear. Right? He's stopping the people from going too far down a path where he says, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. He's like, listen, I haven't come to remove the requirements. Right? That, that's what they were, they were, they were burdened with the law and the expectations of the law and all the, the different hoops they had to jump through. And Jesus is like, listen, I haven't come to abolish those, but I've come to fulfill them. There's a couple ways we have to understand that Jesus fulfills the law. First, Jesus fulfills the law because he lived sinless 
and didn't break a single part of the law. He fulfills it in a way that we can't. The burden that was crushing them was not a burden to Jesus because Jesus never sinned. Here's an interesting thought I had. And I knew this, but I never really let my brain wrap around it. Like, here's the thing. When I used to think, like, Jesus never sinned, I would sit there and be like, that means Jesus never actively did any sin. But it's like, wait a minute, there's more to it than that. That means Jesus never, never had, like, a sinful thought. Like, I was thinking about this. Like, Jesus, like, here's the deal. I can control what comes out sometimes. But there's some gnarly stuff that goes on in this head. Right? Right? And I never really stopped for a moment and been like, oh my goodness, not only did Jesus not actively commit sin, man, he didn't even sin in his thoughts. That means Jesus never had a sinful emotion. Like Jesus never had a sinful reaction to anything. You know, Jesus never had that moment of jealousy or envy or, or, or hatred or any of it. Like Jesus lived a sinless life inside and out. This is important to understand because that's what we're going to talk about this morning is that here's the thing. Many times as a Christian, I judge my maturity and my progress as a Christian not comparing myself to the standard, but comparing myself to the other people around me. Right? I can look at others and say, man... I'm doing a lot better than what they're going through. I've never done that. I don't wrestle with that, Lord. I'm obvious. Thank you for... Because I'm comparing myself to people when Jesus is going to raise the bar and he's going to say, listen, you don't compare yourself to people. The only one you compare yourself to is me. And when I compare myself to Jesus... That's humbling. Because all of a sudden, any progress that I want to have pride in, Jesus shows me, David, none of that would even be possible if it wasn't for me. See, he didn't just fulfill the law by living sinless. He also fulfilled the law because he paid the penalty, the, the, what it cost for breaking the law. He fulfills the law because he became the sacrificial lamb demanded by the law. See, so Jesus is up there saying, listen, don't be sitting here thinking you're throwing out the expectations. Don't be thinking you're going to throw out the requirements to be a holy person. Don't think that's what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm showing you that you can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. And because I'm going to do it for you, that's the invitation, right? Receive the forgiveness that I'm going to offer you because of what I'm going to do for you. I am going to fulfill the law. But because I'm going to fulfill the law, now there comes the challenge. See, there's this unfortunate thing that happens to many of us, and I am guilty of this for much of my life. I would feel secure in, where, in what condition my life was in, because I would say to myself, at least someday I get to go to heaven. Right? As long as I believe and I have faith, here's the deal. Yeah, I should be doing better. I should be following, Lord. I should be 
chasing after you. I should be, you're the standard. But I would always kind of be like, can't we just be, can't it just be good enough? I believe I come to church, you know, I don't know when I was sharing this, if it was during another sermon, but I lived a lot of my life, a lot of my Christianity with this mentality of, now here's the thing. I know this is dumb and it's wrong and I knew it then, but I still believed it. I try to live my life with the scale mentality, right? You've heard, we've talked, you know, the scale mentality. I had a lot of things that I knew God wasn't happy about in my life that was on one side of the scale, but I'd always try to justify it by saying, but Lord, look at all the other stuff I did for you. Right? Like, come on. And this is even worse. I mean, I'm not trying to lower it for anybody else, but this is even worse when I think when you really serve the church, because I would walk around being like, Lord, I know there's all this sin over here, but man, come on. I taught this really good lesson to the youth yesterday. I was back when I still did youth ministry. It's like, I, come on. You got to give me some credit for that. Right? Or maybe we went and actually had this awesome outpouring. This is, what, this is where Satan's really good at messing with you. We'd have like, when we had our youth ministry, when I really wrestled with a lot of different stuff, um, our youth ministry, we didn't have, God was so gracious and awesome. Like we had times where kids were coming and getting saved and they were coming up and praying and, and we were having these amazing moments during services and all these different things. And I would walk away from that going, justifying my sin because I'd say, well, obviously God's still blessing it. So obviously God, you know, I know I'm not supposed to be doing these things, but he must be cool because he's still blessing what we're doing. These are the lies that I would chase after and I would conform my life to. And Jesus again is saying, he's like, listen, I'm going to raise the bar. It's not just about you believe, David. It's like, what is that belief doing in your life? The standard is me and you are called to pursue me. Not part of your heart, not half of your heart. All of your heart is to pursue me. And then he makes this statement before he goes into what that looks like. And he says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness, all right, this is verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now let's just understand that for a second. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they have fallen into a trap. And their trap is they think to be a follower of God means to have an outward expression of what it looks like to live holy and to be righteous. They're focused on the outside, right? Jesus even went as far as saying, but woe to you teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like washed tombs. He's like, you look nice on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of bones and death and unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people of righteousness, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Here's one of the lies that I want to just challenge us with. And again, I'm not saying anybody here like believes this wholeheartedly, but I just want to challenge you to watch your life very carefully. Because the enemy would love to get all of us to be like the Pharisees and think that proper Christianity is only found in what you look like on the outside with never dealing with the inside. Right? He wants you to conform your behavior to acting 
like a Christian and being like a Christian. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's better than not doing it. I'm not going to say it's not. But the issue is, is many times we spend all of our energy and all of our time trying to conform ourselves on the outside and we're never transformed on the inside. Sadly, I think there's many Christians, and again, I'm not doubting faith in Jesus and his death and his resurrection. What I'm saying is the enemy wants you to spend all your time trying to fix the outside and never dealing with the inside. So here's the thing about frustration in Christianity, and hear me on this because maybe this is some of us in this room. Conforming your behavior to being like a Christian or to be what you think a Christian is Conforming your outward behavior will never truly transform you. But listen, when you're radically transformed by the Spirit of God, that will automatically change your behavior. See, many of us try to control our behavior and then we get frustrated when we can't. And that's when he likes to come in and he likes to tell you how horrible you are. He tells you how weak you are. He tells you, why is it always the same thing? Come on, you do this all the time. You try, then you fail. You try, you fail. You try, you fail. Because he wants us to focus on, you you can't do it on the, the, well, I'm going to try harder. Anybody here ever, I mean, again, you don't have to answer, but I've done this so many times. (laughs) Lord, I'm going to try harder. You know what I learned about trying harder? (laughs) You fail harder. Do you realize that's where most Christians are at today? And I'm not doubting sincerity every time I've ever said, I'm going to try harder. I was dead serious. I'm trying harder. I'm going to do this right. Every single time I tried harder, guess what happened? I failed harder. And every time I failed harder, that made me want to give up. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Because here's the thing, our enemy, Satan is fine. Listen, let me open your eyes a little bit here with this, because this was just, it kind of blew my mind when I thought about this. Satan is fine with you living a behavior-based Christianity. He is totally fine with you trying to control the outside. He is 100% fine with you trying to clean up the outside. He has no problem with that whatsoever because here's the thing. When you put your faith in Jesus, he's going to look at you and say, you know what? I can't change their identity. I can't change their belief. I'm fi- I can't fight that, but here's what I can fight. I can't keep them from being saved by Jesus, but man, I can keep them from being transformed by Jesus. I can keep them from being used by Jesus. I can keep them from experiencing that peace and that joy and that love that Jesus talks about. Again, Christian, think about this for a moment. How many times have you read in the New Testament and you read verses that say things like that we are supposed to have peace that goes beyond human understanding? And you sit there and go, where's that at? How many times have you read the verses that talks about the depth of God's love and Paul saying, I desperately want you to know the depth and width and the expanse of God's love. And you sit there going, man, where's that at? Like, not that you don't believe it, but you say, this is what I would say. Man, Lord, somewhere there's an ocean, like a huge ocean of your love, and I feel like all I'm experiencing is a puddle. Like, where's the ocean? I'm tired of the puddle. Right? How many times do you read scripture and it says things like, a joy that is never ending. And you sit there and say, where's that? Why am I not experiencing that? 
Satan is fine with you living a behavior-based Christianity, trying to clean up the outside, because he is fine to keep you from letting God transform the inside. So now, let's just real quick look at what Jesus goes through. Jesus goes through six different things, real quick. He's like, bam, bam, he just hits these. This is where I say, it feels like Jesus is all over the place. He's talking about murder, he's talking about adultery, he's talking about divorce, he's talking about oaths. He talks about eye for an eye, and then he talks about love for your enemies. And Jesus starts laying this out, and he says, listen... You think, you have heard that it is said, do not murder. And here's the deal. I hope nobody in here has killed anybody. But according to Jesus, every single person in this room has. He's raising the bar. Jesus is like, listen, it doesn't matter if outwardly you haven't killed anybody, but if you have harbored hatred in your heart towards anybody, you have committed murder in your heart. And then some of us might hear and say, ah, see, I've never harbored hatred towards anybody. And Jesus goes one step further. He's like, if you've ever called a person a fool, you fool, you're guilty. Because you've lessened who they are as a creation of God. I, I, I chuckled to myself when, when Lisa started talking about Facebook and some of our reactions to this. Can I, can I tell you right now? Every single person in this room, if you get into politics at all, you all guilty of murder. Because I'm guilty of murder. I may not post it, but man, I have those moments where in my head, my wife calls me out all the time. I'll come in, I'll be like, do you hear what? And then I'll say things and she'll be like, hey, now. She likes to be like that voice of the Holy Spirit. But she's usually here now, now. She's usually right, though. But Jesus raised the bar. Again, he says, do not commit adultery. You have heard, don't commit adultery. And we're going to sit here and say, yes, I have never done that. And Jesus then raises the bar. But if you've lusted for somebody, you're guilty of adultery. He goes on talking about divorce. And, and he says, you have heard that, you know, anyone that divorces his wife is to give her a certificate of divorce. And we're not going to get into talking about divorce, but what I want you to understand with this is in this time, here's what this culture was like. This culture actually believed that women had no right whatsoever to ever leave their husband, but a man could leave his wife anytime he wanted to for any reason he wanted to. He just had to give her a piece of paper that said, I'm out. I'm just, I'm not happy with you no more. I just don't love you no more. I just don't, you know, here you go. Here's your paper. See you later. And Jesus is talking about that. And then he goes on talking about oaths. And he says, listen, don't be, you know, swearing by heaven or earth or anything. He's like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Eye for an eye. He says, you have heard that if someone wounds you, you get the right to have revenge and wound them back to the same degree of which they wound you. And Jesus then says, but I tell you, turn the other cheek. And then he talks about loving your enemies. For you have heard to love your neighbor but hate your enemies. And Jesus is like, no, no, that's not the way it's going to be. The way it's going to be is you're supposed to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those that are against you. Listen, we can't lessen what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying if someone legitimately wants to destroy you, you're still supposed to love them and pray for them. He's raising the bar. Because there's six heart issues that Jesus is addressing here. These are the six heart issues that Jesus is addressing. We're, we're called to be people of love, people of purity, people of faithfulness, people of integrity, people of humility, and people of mercy. 
He's like, listen, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. How do you do that? You be people known for this. You be known for people that love. You don't hate anybody. You be people that are pure. You seek after purity in every aspect of your life. You are not a person that just looks at any commitment you made and, and when it gets hard or it isn't what you want, you just walk away. No, you be a person of faithfulness. You be a person of integrity. When you say something, people know that you're going to follow through. You be a person of humility. When somebody wounds you, you don't seek revenge. Be humble. Turn the other cheek. And be a person of mercy. Love your enemies. Pray for those that want to hurt you. Seek their salvation. Now here's the point as we close this all up and we, and we, and we get to understand this. What Jesus is saying here, it's not just the behavior that's important. What's most important is also the attitude behind it. See, some of us can do some of these things, but we have a bad attitude when we do it. Let me give you an example of this. Um, Maybe you guys have had this with your own kids. My kids, I love, there's two moments. One, I love it, and one, the other one, I hate it. Um, I love when we do something with our kids, like, hey, we're going to clean, and, and they want to help. You know what I'm talking about? Like, for some reason, well, okay, I get them every once in a while. Every once in a while, Libby will just be like, let me help you with that, or let me do that for you. And, and there's these amazing moments where it actually is like everything's great and working, and, and we're working together, and we're getting stuff done, and she's in a good mood, and, and everything's great. And that's like 2% of the time. 98% of the time, she's got the worst attitude ever. Now, she might clean, but she's going to make your day horrible the whole time she does it. Her attitude sucks. Not you, baby. You're awesome. You're salt and light, kiddo. But your attitude sometimes. Can I challenge us for a moment? When we live a behavior-based Christianity, we are the same way. We might do the things outwardly that God says that we're supposed to do, but inwardly, we're not happy. We're grumpy. We're complaining. We're finding reasons to just, I mean, this, and you know what happens when we live that kind of Christianity? You get frustrated, angry. Sooner or later, you're just like, I give up. There's no joy. Because everything feels like a burden. Everything is a burden. I don't want to forgive this person, but Jesus says I have to. I don't want to love that person, but Jesus says I have to. I don't want to be committed to this, this, commi- you know, this commitment. I, mean, I don't want to have to. Whatever. I guess I have to. That's what we fall into. And here's the thing. There's no joy in that. And Jesus is saying, listen, you are salt and you are light, and I want you to live out these things, but I want you to do it with the right attitude, with a changed and transformed heart. So here's the thing. I don't want to leave you with this. This is what you're supposed to do now. Go do it. Because here's the thing. You can't do it. (laughs) You can't. Because right now, some of us might be thinking, yes, I want to be that. But then you're probably sitting there going like, how do I do that? I try harder. Here's the thing, you can't try harder on any of those things. Nobody in this room can try harder to love. You just can't do it. 
And God understands that because he tells us this, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord. You can't make this happen. Only submitting to the Holy Spirit of God transforms you to be a person of love, purity, faithfulness, humility, and all of these things. Only when we submit to the Holy Spirit of God. Here's the problem that most of us are living with our Christianity. You keep getting in the way. Remember from last week, we keep getting in the way. And I'm not saying our intentions aren't good. Your motivation is good, but God's like, would you stop it? Stop getting in the way because you can't do it. Only I do it. Paul says this, now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Christian, this morning, do you realize that God not only wants you to behave like a Christian, he wants to radically transform you inside To live a life of joy and peace and excitement where your attitude is not one of burden or despair or frustration, but excitement and passion and zeal to chase after him is the standard. Here's the thing. Many of us truly do want to glorify God, but we are frustrated because we've been trying to do it ourselves. Or God says you can't. Only I can do it through you. Here's the last verse I want to give you. It's not a slide, but it popped in my head this morning. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. If you ever want to look it up, it's one of those things that I keep reminding myself, and it's simply this. Because some of us might be sitting there saying, well, can I be transformed? Is this possible to be changed on the inside? Is it possible to become a new person with new attitudes and new desires and all of these things? Yes, because Jesus says, with man... It's absolutely impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Christian, have you submitted to God to the point of saying, Holy Spirit, transform me completely on the inside? Lord, I don't want to just behave because you tell me to behave. I want the joy and the peace and the excitement and the zeal to follow after you. Again, you can't make it happen. Only the Holy Spirit can make it happen. So I encourage us to submit, yield, and let him do the work that only he can do. Let's pray. Gracious God, we just thank you for the day that we've had this morning already, just being in your presence, being able to worship you and exalt you, to sing about your goodness, Lord. I'm still overwhelmed by that thought of thinking what others are going through right now around this world, but yet we can still proclaim the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Lord, I pray strength upon our brothers and sisters that are struggling right now. Lord, those that are facing unbelievable choices that I can't even imagine. But Lord, I'm also encouraged because I see people that are probably so full of you and your spirit that they're facing unbelievable circumstances, but there's still peace and there's still joy and there's still excitement, but Lord, because this life isn't what it's all about. And they're standing upon the confidence and the the assurance that they have in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I pray that for us. I pray that as we have the desire to seek after you and to know you, Lord, that we will submit to your Holy Spirit, that we will call out to you daily, persistently, always, every day, Lord, fill me with your Spirit, Lord. Transform me from the inside out. Lord, I don't want to live with the burden of behavior and conforming to you. I want to be radically transformed by you. Lord, let that be the desire of our heart. To not be discouraged with our faith, but excited by it. Passionate. Ready to love. Ready to be humble. Ready to extend forgiveness. Ready to be witnesses of salt and light. Lord, let us get excited by it. We give you praise in all things. Watch over your church and use us for your glory. Amen.